0: So, Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to uh, follow along with the printed sermon notes insert. That's on the green insert in our worship folder here today. If you're watching online, you can find the sermon notes on our website, holyword.net. Why do we keep convincing ourselves that life is going to be without problems when we know that life is full of problems by experience and also by the very words of Jesus who promises to us in his own words in the Bible, in John chapter 16, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. We don't like to face problems. We don't like to deal with problems, but can you think of some times where you had expectations that that something would just go perfectly? And because there was a problem that happened, it shattered your hope or it shook your faith. I mean, maybe you anticipated, you know, a a first date or an afternoon nap that would be noise-free. How about a new job, a new house, a new car? Didn't go as planned or expected. Marriage, relationships, friendships, cup of coffee, You name it, there are things in life that don't go as we might expect and and create a problem. Two things that are important to remember when it comes to problems. Number one, even Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people have problems. It's okay. We have problems and it's all right. Number two, The most important thing when it comes to a problem isn't your problem, but how you respond to the problem. Let me say that again. Listen. The most important thing during your problem is not your problem. It's how you respond to your problem. As Christians, we look to Jesus as the one who is going to respond to our problems in this life, in this world. And we have a leg up on everyone else in this world who isn't looking to Jesus, believing in him and following him. So there's this, uh, there's this statement out there. It's one of those bumper sticker sayings that has theology in it and, and it kind of packs a lot into it a little bit. And I, I like it. It says, Starve your fears and feed your faith. Right, Alan, you and I were talking before the service about um, faith, and if we just leave our faith alone, we don't, we're not in God's Word, we're not with others in the church, we're not reading the Bible. Um, our faith can starve. We don't want to starve our faith. We want to feed our faith, and we want to starve our fears. Jesus feeds your faith. When you have problems, he feeds your faith. So I titled this sermon, Jesus Feeds Your Problems. Right, he feeds your problems with ownership and with opportunity. Now, we look to Matthew chapter 14, and the Sunday school version of this story is this Jesus always gives you stuff. Jesus can feed 5,000, actually, 5,000 men, so you add women and children, I don't know, 12,000. Jesus can feed thousands of people by a miracle. He can take care of you and fill your cupboards and refrigerator and your garage and and your hard drive, you know. that we're, we're past that, all right? That Sunday school version. Here's the bigger story behind the story. Jesus not only saves you from, from your needs, from your problems, Jesus saves us from ourselves. That's the story behind the story. Jesus saved not only the people who didn't have food, but he saved his disciples that day, and he saved us from our improper view of problems, from our improper uh, response to problems, and when if the loud message that he is the Son of God and Savior of the world, and he's here to help. And he's going to do that for us today as we study this story. I'm going to tell you the biggest step, the biggest piece that you can contribute to a problem. When you have a problem, the biggest step is the first step. And if you do this first step, you're 80% of the way there to addressing your problem. And the very first step in in a problem is that you define it as a problem, you see it as a problem, and you own that problem. You say, that's mine, here's what it is, I define it, and I own it. I don't ignore it, I don't pretend that it doesn't exist, and I don't blame others for my problem. Uh, The disciples had a problem. Verses 15 and 16 say this, As evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Right? The disciples were saying, Hey, not our problem. And Jesus is saying, Yeah, Your problem. Jesus wants the disciples to be part of the solution to the problem of, these, of this huge crowd being in need. Uh, but the disciples really don't see it that way. Right? There are times in our lives where we don't see the problem Accurate, I should say accurately. Because a lot of times we'll, we'll see the problem, but we'll misdiagnose it or we'll misrepresent it. We might feel that the problem is way bigger than it really is because we face it with fear and we feed our fear and we spin and spin and spin in circles in our mind and we create these complex possibilities that aren't even true yet. And so we we tend to make problems bigger than they are. We tend to look at them in, in ways that make them more overwhelming than they really are. And so we don't see them accurately and so we tend to ignore them or pretend they don't exist Or blame, if we can blame others for our problems, that's a very convenient way to not own them. All right, I'm going to call out here, I'm going to call out men, um, of which I happen to be one. um, Thank you, God. Because men are very good at ignoring, pretending, and blaming others about our problems. So there's this billboard up. This is some health company that puts this billboard up. And it says, this year thousands of men will die from stubbornness, and some, this was not a woman, this was not a child, this was a man with white spray paint, spray paints. no we won't, you're stubborn, no I'm not, I don't have a problem, you have a problem, no I don't have a problem, men are very good at that, but I think you ladies are too in your own ways. Um. the disciples didn't see the, the problem that Jesus wanted them to see. And, but now he engages the disciples in this problem. So uh, let, me, let me tell you the ways that Jesus and the disciples address the problem of the huge crowd being hungry and not having anything to eat. The resources that Jesus brings to the table with this problem. All right, So it's very important when you encounter problems in your Christian life that you see the same resources that Jesus sees when it comes to your problem. Here's number one. All right. And notice I say address the problem. Okay? To see the resources that address the problem. You may encounter problems in your life that Jesus does not want to go away ever. Or if he wants them to go away, well, they just don't go away. And that can be okay. You might be managing a problem your entire life. And it doesn't go away, but you can still manage it and manage it Jesus' way. That's why I say address and not necessarily fix. Not all your problems in life are going to be fixed. My eyesight is going. I'm, I turn 50 years old. I'm taking glasses on and off. I'm trying contacts. I, that's not a problem that's going to go away. I need to, uh, I need to manage that problem. It's not going to be fixed. So addressing the problem, we have resources. Resource number one. Look at verse 17. The disciples say, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. All right? We have good words. Only. Not so good word. Right? They're kind of saying, well, there's this God, but. And there's this God that you've brought to the table, but. And I, I, I see this as a resource, God, uh, but oh, it's not, it's limited. This is glass half-empty thinking. And for Christians who have a God who, who fills the glass full and beyond, we can't be pessimists. We can't be glass half-empty thinkers. Um, but the disciples are that. They look at the loaves of bread and fish and say, they're human thinking says, there's no way this is going to feed this many people. All right, but there's still resources, and you're going to see how that works. Verse 14. Go back to verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. So pay attention to those words carefully. Jesus lands, he sees this large crowd, he has compassion on them. The disciples see a problem. Jesus sees people. The disciples approach the problem with their head. I'm counting fish and I'm counting bread and I'm counting people and Jesus that doesn't match up that's that's a formulaic spreadsheet factual analysis of of the issue not wrong but very limited when Jesus is standing next to you so the disciples use their head in approaching the problem Jesus Jesus has a heart and his heart is filled with compassion for people not just the hungry people either Right? He had healed their sick, it says. He, Jesus, wa- Jesus wanted to be, you see the early verses here? Jesus, why did he come to the, why did, he, why did he land the boat and come on shore? He wanted to be in, remember the words? He wanted to be in a solitary place. If you open your Bibles to Matthew 14 today and look just before this story, here's what you're going to read. This very, very good man and powerful prophet a man who is very close to Jesus, John the Baptist, was beheaded by Herod for telling people that they should believe in Jesus. Jesus caused the death of John the Baptist by assigning him to go and preach and he was killed for it. That just So when this, when we, I started reading verse 13 and it said after this had happened, that's what the this is talking about. So Jesus needs to he needs to get away for a while and he needs some quiet time and he needs to be away from people and he needs to pray about this and ponder and it it doesn't happen. There's people climbing all over him wanting to be healed. It does not say Jesus was irritated at them for interrupting his agenda. It says Jesus had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And not only does he have compassion on on, on the hungry and the sick, He has compassion on his disciples in this way. They're not seeing the problem the way that Jesus wants them to see it. And even though they're thinking that way, even in the midst of of their wrong-sightedness about the problem, Jesus loves them too. And Jesus has compassion on them too. And he's not frustrated with them He is not really surprised at them, but it doesn't cause him to go into a tailspin and say, what's going on? I thought my disciples were perfect. And he's patient with them. When when you can't figure out your life's problems, Jesus does not stand with his arms crossed and his foot tapping, saying, would you get with the show, please? Jesus has compassion on you as you're trying to figure things out and maybe even figuring them out in the wrong way, Jesus has compassion on you. You never frustrate him. Your problems, no matter how big or small, are never too big or too small for him. They're never a bother for him. You never surprise his socks off so that he's confused and doesn't know what to do. Jesus has compassion on you. And for all the times that you have already failed to address the problem properly, Jesus has forgiven you. All your failures, all your mistakes are gone. And it's a new day. And Jesus is ready to work on it with you as you trust in him and follow him. So that's his compassion. Jesus' compassion is always turned on, always available, always yours, even in the midst of a problem that that you can't figure out or haven't been doing well at. All right, third resource, verse 18. Jesus says, so the, the disciples say, hey, we have, we have these fish and we have the, this bread. Jesus says, bring them here to me. So Jesus feeds the problem with these resources, and the resources are bread and fish. They had to, a little boy had this fish, and the disciples find him, and they bring it to Jesus, and they say, here's this bread and fish. And then uh, Jesus says, bring, bring them here to me. Um, here's, the, here's the lesson there. The bread and fish were in the hands of the disciples, and Jesus is telling the disciples, those aren't yours. He, he's telling the disciples, these are resources, but those aren't yours. They're mine. And when you bring your resources to me, and let me handle them, and let me manage them, and follow my advice, and get my wisdom, and do what I tell you to do. Once you do that, that is truly a resource for you to truly address your problem the way that you need to address your problem. And they did, and and over 5,000 people ate. And, And as you bring your resources to Jesus, he uses not only your resources, but he uses you as well. I have told a few of you this, but I haven't said it in public before, and I'm going to say it in public today. I have been on a journey as your pastor for five years now. Uh, And it's been an incredible journey, but it hasn't been an easy journey. You called me to be your pastor and to move to Texas from Wisconsin. The best part of that is the weather. I love it but there's other parts that are a challenge. I left uh, two teenage boys to come here who didn't move here with us. I left my parents in Wisconsin, in the Milwaukee area where I moved from. I left friends there, dear friends, that, some of which are sti- still dear friends, but some of which are not anymore. I came here... And uh, and I thought, you know, I have I've been in the ministry for 20 years, and God's given me some good experience. And what they're asking me to do, um, lead a mission church. I've led a mission church before. Um, major organization of a bigger organization, a multi-site organization. I was at a big church in Milwaukee. I thought, you know what, I got, I got it going on. I can I can come here, and I can, I, I got it, and I can give it to you, uh, and we can make this work. And, uh, and then started encountering problems and challenges. Uh, the house flooded. My office was in the house. And I lost notes that it, for, for all my doctrinal books, uh, personal notes that I took at the seminary, ruined in a flood, uh, two feet of water in the house. And uh, God was looking after us. We had just moved out of that house weeks earlier. But that flood uh, took, things from me that I didn't want to be gone and I didn't have for my ministry anymore. Members quit early in the game, late in the game, even up to this week. Members quit, pointing their fingers at me saying, you don't have the direction that we're looking for from this church. You don't have the leadership. You said this. You didn't say that. We're leaving. That's hard. And then there's this building project that should have been done you know In the 17th century, well, at least that's what we think, it should have been done a long time ago and it's still hanging on and and, uh, delay after delay after delay. Uh, It's been hard. And I'm going to confess publicly what I had in my heart that is wrong and it's a sin and I'm confessing it. Do you know what the problem was that whole time? Why things weren't going the way that I wanted them to go? Do you know what the problem was? You! That's what my heart said, right? That's what the devil said. That's what my native selfishness said. You are the problem. I can't tell you how many times in my heart of hearts I was tempted to believe and even believed. And it prayed, God, why did you give me these people? God, if it weren't for these people, we'd have a building already. God, if it weren't for these people, there wouldn't have been a flood in my house. You know, I blamed you for everything. And uh, it was about at the three-year mark. It took me three years to figure that out. And maybe you saw it in me, maybe you didn't, but it was there. And uh, thankfully to some patient people here, to wonderful staff, especially Pastor Patterson, to uh, good friends, to coaching, to pastor coaching. I'm in a pastor coaching network, both as a coach, but I am coached. Uh, and to my wonderful wife, and especially to God's Word and, and immersing myself in God's Word, I realized um, you're not the problem, but I am. Right, I'm my, I am my own worst problem. And the moment I start blaming others, I take the focus off of what God really wants to fix. And God had a mission to bring me here, and it, that mission is not just building a building and it's not just standing here and preaching on sunday and and honestly it's not just you but you're a big part of it part of his mission is me part of his mission is saying darren i want to change your heart and i'm going to use a flood and i'm going to use you being separate from your family and i'm going to i'm going to use a delayed building project and pastor darren i want to change your heart are you willing to do that for three years I wasn't, and now I am. And, and the, the journey the last two years has been amazing, amazing. My eyes have been open to new things. I, I, I look at you and I see you in different ways. I see myself in a different way because I've now accurately identified the problem and it doesn't scare me. I'm not overwhelmed by it because of my Savior. And I can focus on that, and I tell you what, the, uh, the opportunities for growth are, are amazing. So three big lessons I learned from that, that why I told you that story. Number one, um, the biggest problem in life is not in circumstances, it's in our own hearts. And when you're ready to admit that, you're going to be much more compassionate and less judgmental to others and more of what God has called you to do. And God can change your heart if you're willing to go there. Number two, um, I came to give you something and, uh, and it ends up actually that I'm not the gift you are. That, that from my perspective, God didn't give me to you. He gave you to me as a gift. Um, that That lesson about entitlement and about um, doing things our way is huge. And when you see the resources around you that God has given you, especially people as a gift, no matter what your circumstances, it's an amazing thing that the heart change can happen. Um, And finally, thirdly, the opportunity in the midst of a problem and challenges, uh, there's opportunity to grow and to serve that is not there if you're misdiagnosing the problem, if Jesus and his love aren't part of it. So, how does Jesus feed our problems? He feeds them first by ownership. I want you to own the problem, and I want you to own these resources in this sense that when you own resources for a Christian and a Jesus follower, there's never ownership without service. Never. I have back-to-school supplies. Whose are they? They're mine. And yours. I have wisdom. I have strength. I have time. I have riches. Thank you, God. I own them, but they're not mine alone. They are yours, too. Opportunity to serve is what ownership is all about. So, why did Jesus give bread and fish to the disciples? Two reasons. One was to serve and one was to grow. Jesus gave bread and fish to the disciples, not for them to eat. Maybe they chewed on some, but he gave bread and fish to the disciples, not for them to eat, but for them to feed. It was an opportunity. The ownership of the bread and fish as an opportunity for them to serve. Verse 19, taking the the five loaves and the two fish And looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Why did Jesus give bread and fish to the disciples in this way? Why didn't he just rain bread and fish down from heaven? That would have been a little more exciting. Kind of like right manna and quail in the wilderness. And why didn't Jesus just drop salmon and tilapia from the sky? and they landed in people's baskets and whole grain loaves of bread. Why didn't he just uh, snap his fingers and have them? But he gave them to the disciples. Not just so that they would feed others, but he gave them to the disciples so that they had the opportunity to grow. He drew them into the problem. That's called agency. Agency. When you come to Jesus with a problem, He wants your heart and he wants you to participate in addressing the problem. Jesus, racial tension in our country is getting out of control. Please heal this racial tension. I'm going to be bold and say that I know part of Jesus' answer to that prayer. Not all of it, but I know part of it. And you know what part of the answer to that prayer is? You. And when you pray... Jesus, I I just, if my husband would just step up and take more leadership in our family. Jesus, if, if my wife would just do what she's supposed to do. Can you take care of that, Jesus? Can you fix that problem? I'm telling you, what part of Jesus' answer to that problem is, you. Jesus, I can't can't manage my time well. Jesus, I can't control my anger. Jesus, I'm addicted to porn. Jesus, help my kids always grow up in the faith and never leave you. Do you know what Jesus answer is to that? I don't know the entire answer, but part of it is you. Don't be afraid. Don't be overwhelmed but don't hide don't ignore don't blame someone else jesus has the resources including his compassion and his patience and his forgiveness for you to go right at it uh, look at verse 20 here's how the disciples then grew as they saw themselves as part of jesus plan as participants in addressing the problem They all, that's like the thousands of people, not just the disciples, they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Wow, did the disciples grow. How did they grow? How did did the disciples grow as they were distributing the bread and the fish and then cleaning it up? Their amazement and their appreciation for Jesus in new ways. This is amazing. This miracle. This Jesus is God. This man who says that he is the savior of the world, he can do it because he can create bread and fish and and multiply them for all these people. This is amazing. He is the son of God and savior of the world. And if Jesus can do this, wow. And then they had to, of course, learn to how they deal with leftovers Uh, Twelve basketfuls. They had more at the end than they had at the beginning. Can you believe Jesus when in his word he tells you, give me something, even if it's just a little something, and I will make sure you have more at the end. That's a fun promise and we're attracted to it, but do we really Practice it. Can we really take that risk and give that to Jesus and watch what he can do in return? That He's involving us. He wants to grow us and grow our faith. And, and uh, that's what happens with the disciples here. There's, uh, I, I, I watched a sermon this last week, and, uh, and the preacher used an, a, a great term. Um, and I'll get this right. He used the term, the gift of inconvenience. And he was talking about our service of God and growing in God? And he said the gift of, of inconvenience. He said, it, inconvenience, when God asks us to serve and grow, inconvenience does not feel safe to our flesh, to our hearts, to our native selfishness. It doesn't feel safe. I don't know, God. It, it's, it's not the right time. I'm busy. I don't have enough. Uh, right? It doesn't feel safe. But it feels alive to our spirits. It feels alive to our souls and our faith. And we say, Jesus, let's jump off the ledge and as long as you're holding my hand, everything's going to be all right. Jesus, let's go after this problem. I haven't been willing to admit that this is a problem. I haven't wanted to confess my sin. I haven't wanted to repent. I haven't wanted to go after this in the way that you want me to, but I'm willing, Jesus, let's go. I'm not afraid. Help me see my resources. Help me trust in you. And let's address it the way that I know you can, Jesus. Tomorrow, there's going to be a big, 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 big problem. And I want to help you get ready for it. Um, I know that tomorrow, call me a prophet, but I know tomorrow that the moon is going to be positioned in front of the sun. I'm telling you right now it's going to happen. That's going to create a big, big problem. First of all, there's going to be darkness in the middle of the day, and uh, that's just craziness. Uh, but here's the, I think this is the biggest problem. The moon doesn't belong in front of the sun. right? If How do you feel about the sun if you're the moon? right? The sun gets all the glory, the sun gets all the attention, the meteorologist gets out on the news, and every night says, tomorrow's going to be mostly, yeah, he doesn't say, tonight's going to be a little moony. Right. If there's a big blood moon, a big harvest moon, right, we might pay attention, might show a picture at the ten o'clock news, you see it you know above the skyline. Ooh, oh that's three days out of the year. So if I'm the moon, I'm thinking, enough of this glory of the sun. I'll show the sun for once. I will photobomb the sun's selfie. And there we have it. It might not look like that here in central Texas, but uh, there's that path, that 60-mile path along our country where it will look like that and the moon gets in the way. We're paying attention to this so much because it truly is unnatural. It's not the norm. The moon does not upstage the sun. That's not supposed to happen. So when it does, we, right, it's all over media. We uh, re- arrange our schedules to see this, but it's not normal. God even... When he created the moon and the sun and the stars, God in Genesis said that the sun is the greater light to govern the day and the moon is the lesser light to govern the night. I'm sorry, moon. You're in second place and you always will be. Mr. Moon, can you live with that? Mr. Moon, can that be your destiny and your purpose? Can you, Mr. Moon, be happy with the fact that you reflect light and you are not light? That you, Mr. Moon, depend on the sun for your light to be reflected to the planet Earth? Moon, if you can be happy with that, then Moon, you will live a full, full life. And you will take care of many problems that would exist if you think otherwise. Jesus is the light of the world. It is not my job to upstage him in any way or to photobomb his glory that wants to shine on this planet, but instead to reflect him. To to rely on his light and not my light, like the moon has no light of its own, but relies on the light of the sun. Rely on the light of Jesus. Don't get in his way, but he wants to use you. Not only in the Scriptures does Jesus say, I am the light of the world. Guess what else he says? You are the light of the world. He wants you to reflect him. There's going to be problems, but you're never without his light. There's going to be problems, but he's always there in his forgiveness and his compassion and his love. He's always there to feed your problems with ownership And with opportunities. So let your light shine. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these words, for your miracle of feeding the thousands of people. Help us to see in that miracle lessons, um, not just about physical providing, but lessons for our faith. Help us to see your grace and your mercy and your actions and your compassion. Help us to believe in that this week and to to have the eclipse remind us that we ought not get in your way of your work in our lives and in this world, but reflect you and everything there is about you. Jesus, take these words that you have given us today in the Scriptures. Help us to remember them, to assimilate them to our hearts, to believe them, and to always put them into practice. Amen.